0: Hi, Ron here, and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Centre at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Hi, it's Ron here, and welcome to Fringe. This week at Redcliffe we had um, an unusual week, it was very dynamic, um, basically it was me picking a fight. <laughs> um, what happened was, was uh, one of the things which I'm very passionate about is, is protecting people, protecting people from people who take it upon themselves to judge others and uh, to kind of threaten people's um, salvation because I do not think that as a Christian we have the right to judge others I I think as a Christian we do not have the right to say that someone is condemned or not That's, that's the higher management that's something which happens well beyond our capacity as Christians in this life during the week There was a a pastor online who put up a message, and he he sent it to me to check out, and um, my response was simply be very careful with this passage. Not that what he was saying was wrong, what he he was saying was fine, Uh, and his message was great, but it's a passage which I really don't like. It's, It's a book of the Bible which has been misused and abused so much for so long and done, being used as a weapon to do so much damage to other people, I do realise that I have a difference of opinion with this passage. The way I interpret it is different to so many Christians, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, I wouldn't presume to say that I'm the one who's got all the answers, but I was asked during the week if I could do a message on this by a couple of the guys coming to Fringe on Friday night. Excuse me. (coughs) And, um, yeah, so so I reluctantly came to the challenge and went to uh, talk about this book. So this book is Ezekiel. And there is a very well-known passage in there which talks about the Watchman. Before we get into what the Watchman is or what... I perceive this part is uh, that this passage is about Um, I'd like to do a bit of background on Ezekiel and I think it's very important because to to grab any scripture and just hold onto it without taking it in its context of the whole book of where it is of the rest of the message which is around it uh, is to do a great injustice to it like you can use the Bible to prove pretty much anything or to argue any point if you only pick a verse, or or little bits of a chapter, Um, or even worse, I've seen people do it where they've picked multiple different versions of the Bible, and they've thrown it together, so they use this, read this bit out of the NIV, and this bit out of the Message, and this bit out of uh, the King James, and throw it all together to try and prove their point. Um... Alarm bells ring when I hear that people are using different versions in their preaching or whatever. But don't get me wrong, I use uh, different versions. I read different versions of the Bible. I actually encourage people to do that. But when you're, when you're actually teaching or preaching, pick a version, stick to it, keep things in its context. So Ezekiel is... Um, oh, I really don't want to do this because it, uh, it last night... ...was a mess. I picked a fight. And I'm about to do it online now with an even larger community. So, (laughs) please, uh, you Christians, have mercy on me. (laughs) But, um... Ezekiel. So, Ezekiel's story. He is a priest who's been exiled from Jerusalem. Now, Ezekiel... ...is very big on poetry and very, very big on analogy, especially in chapters 12 and 24. He had seen a lot of pain and a lot of violence in his life and a lot of horrific things happen through this exile process. He is sitting by a river and he gets a vision. And this vision comes to him on the day when he would have been, I guess, activated as a priest, the the time when he becomes uh, more involved in being a priest, because a, a priest wasn't necessarily what we think of in today's terms. A priest who then uh, could have been an inherited position. So you, you are a priest because your father was a priest. You are a priest. It doesn't necessarily mean that you were a man of God. I'm not saying that about Ezekiel, but um, Ezekiel comes to the time in his life where he becomes active in mission according to their beliefs and process. And he finds himself in Babylon, sitting beside this river, being in exile. Everything's gone to custom. And he's sitting there, and he gets a vision from God. Now, this vision is complex. I always put it down to... If you got a peek behind the curtain to see things which were not of this world, which were godly and holy and complicated, how would you put that into terms to try and explain it to a layman, to someone in the general public? I think we'd all struggle with that, because what we see would be possibly so other that the English language fails to describe it. So Ezekiel is doing the best that he can, and he talks about these figures when they've got four faces and wings and three wheels, and uh, above their wings is this, uh, like a temple and a chair, and, and God sitting on it, this holiness, but it's, what he's seeing is God, what he's seeing is the holiness of God, this weight of God, which is the presence of God, which is there in Babylon, sitting there. Now, at first glance, you might think, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah God's showing himself to him there at the river. But you've got to remember this is Old Testament, and at this time, the belief was that God could not be outside of the temple that god remained in the temple remained with the ark of the covenant and and didn't leave that place because for him to be in the presence of anyone else would be destruction this is the you know the process which they believed at the time so this is a very challenging vision for ezekiel because ezekiel sees the presence of god the heaviness of god in babylon where they've been exiled to what is God doing in Babylon? Now, to him and to people who are reading this, would be a standard, would be, um, you know, that God is in Babylon. God has abandoned the temple. God has abandoned Jerusalem. God has abandoned his home and left and come into exile into Babylon. This is a huge thing and a huge weight. To have hanging over you. God is not sitting with the ark. And we also see Ezekiel act like a lawyer. In uh, 14, 18, and 20. So, he, what he does is um, he's kind of weighing things up and trying to, to not justify, but um, questioning and, and acting like a lawyer of the time in these passages. So, in Ezekiel, we see a lot of different things. When he is acting like a lawyer, the one thing which he seems to come to is it's too late for change, that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on Egypt and Tyre for being their own gods. Now, this is where this nasty chapter comes in, which I say nasty, it's not, but it gets used and abused about the watchman. I've known people who've considered themselves and actually said to me, you know, I am a watchman of God. It's my job to go out and tell people that if they don't repent and they don't change their ways, they're going to hell. Now this is harmful. This does damage. You know, things like the Ku Klux Klan was considered a Christian movement at one time. How about the Spanish Inquisition? The the, the Crusades, you know? To to have this in your head that I am this person who needs to help bring judgment, to help point out where people are wrong and sinful you know, it's that old thing of when you point a finger at someone, there's always three fingers pointing back at you be careful, be very, very careful this is a very dangerous place to be but we'll come back to that Watchman passage see, the other thing is we hear um, so the watchman passage when when Ezekiel gets this and he, the, uh, what happens is actually the sacking of Jerusalem. Jerusalem falls when he gets this vision and this this thing about the watchman, so the destruction of the holy Land of this place happens when he gets that. The other thing which comes up very shortly afterward is is hope. This hope of a new heart. We all know the vision he gets of the the valley of bones, you know, um, and yeah, there, there was a valley of bones, you know, the the thousands of people slaughtered and killed. Um, from his race through the exile there was not a lot of them left it was, it was tragic, it was horrible but God shows him this vision of this this breeze which flows through, this God's present which flows through and flesh is formed around these bones, a new life is coming it says a, a new heart is coming, where our hearts have been made to stone, they will be made into flesh, this beautiful hopeful vision We then go on to, he talks about Gog. So Gog and God. Now Gog is an amalgamation of Egypt and Tyre. When you you look at it and you break it down, what it is, is he's taken these two superpowers which have made themselves their own gods and he's combined them into this one figure which he calls Gog. So Gog is coming and God strikes him down is what he sees. So there's a lot of analogy, a lot of uh, uh, poetry, uh, you know, a lot of things made up to to explain something which is very difficult to explain. <clears throat> which was uh, how God spoke to Ezekiel, and also I think part of Ezekiel's nature and how he spoke to others to explain complicated things. But one of the things he sees from this is a new temple, which has come. But the new temple, so the, the, there's much debate about that in Christian world through scholars whether it actually means uh, a temple coming or whether it's the end days with the, you know, um, heaven coming here, and us becoming, uh, you know, this new place, this new civilization. So, but we won't get into that because we'll be here for hours but the interesting thing is this river which flows out of the temple which we see in ezekiel and it runs and it grows this little stream into a river and it grows and it leads to the dead sea and the dead sea if anyone knows about it is the dead sea it's dead but this river brings it to life and it brings new life into the dead sea this incredible vision of new life, new hope, which is coming. And this represents um, the Garden of Eden, of humanity being brought back into true relationship with God, where they can walk in the garden together. It is also a symbol of the death of that covenant. So it's a, a death of the old covenant and new hope and new things to come. So that is a very brief overview on Ezekiel. But in the middle of it, we have this verse, the Watchman verse. So Ezekiel 33 1 9. And it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man. Speak to your countrymen and say to them, What I bring. When I bring the sword against the land, and the people of this land choose one of their men, and make them their watchmen, and he sees the sword coming against the land, and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears this trumpet, but does not take warning, the sword comes and takes his life. His blood will be on his own head since he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning his blood will be on his own head if he had taken warning he would have saved himself but the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people that the sword is coming and takes the life of one and that the man will be taken away because of his sins But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give the warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die and you do not speak out to him from this the wicked man will die for his sins, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and turn from his ways, he does not do so. He will die his sins from his sins, but you will have saved yourself. So this is the passage which is used and abused and put around so much, in my opinion, which people take it as, um, we need to warn of the sort, which we do, we do need to bring correction into people's lives, but there is a way of doing this, it's not, um, uh, you know, coming in and saying, look, if you keep this up, you're going to hell. This is not a way to win souls. This is not a way to make people um, any better with their walk. This is only going to push people away. And people do not realize this. But this passage, when I read it, what I see is justification. Is Ezekiel who has a prophet... He was a prophet, and he got God's message. Like, we look at Jonah, who didn't want to give the message to Nineveh, and, uh, you know, shot through it, ran the other way. Yet he gets swallowed by this giant fish, by this whale, and spat out and given another opportunity. This is Ezekiel, and he's trying to, you know, God, look, I did what you told me, you know. I I spoke to these people like you asked me to. I told them of these visions of what was going to happen. And yet, everything went to custard. There's a lot dead. Everything's horrific. Things have gone pear-shaped. Do not blame me for this. I told them what they did is on them, not me. And he's dead, right? We are all responsible for our own sins. We are all responsible for our own lives. I always tell people, you are the master of your own destiny. What you sow, you reap, you know? Uh, But it gets twisted, this verse. And I know this is going to cause problems with a lot of people because I have a difference of opinion here. I do not think it's our role to try and condemn people to hell, to say you're going to hell and you're not. That's never our place. You know, we are called to be witnesses, and you can't be a witness if you're trying to sit in the judge's seat. Plain and simple. So don't. Just don't. Our job is to love people. When it comes to correction, yes. It's important that people change, that people step out of sin. But the reason they do this is has to be not because of um, some relationship where you need to buy your way into heaven, where I need to do exactly what I'm told to be able to get there. No, it, it's, it's not an exchange. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does. And the reason for us to step away from our sinful actions or the things which we are doing wrong is purely because God loves us so much that he's done this for us. Every time that we um, screw up, and we do, look, we all do, is, is like saying, you know, Jesus, you hung on the cross, you died for all our sins, and I've screwed up. And put more on you so you need to stay there a little bit longer that is heavy we need to respect what's being done for us for the love and that is why we seek to change to become better people better christians not for the reason of our salvation i always point out to corinthians the first corinthians you know the town of corinth was known for a thousand years before Jesus as being a place of debauchery and sin and you name it, it happened there it was a pursuit of whatever made you feel good was what it was known for and yet, when Paul writes to the Corinthians he, he calls them my brethren you know, my brothers, my family he calls them The Church of God, not um, the Baptist Church or the Pentecostal Church or whatever, the Church of God. Now these guys are messing up so badly, but never, never does he say to them, stop or you're going to hell. Never does he step in and and kind of uh, holds their salvation over them, because it's not his place. Yes, he brings correction. Yes, he addresses the things which are going wrong there. But it's done from a point of love and humility. To be Christian, in many ways, is to be self-righteous. There's no other way around it. We do know and we do believe that there is only one way, and that is through Christ. In being so, that is being self-righteous. What I say to you, is to learn how to be humbly self-righteous. Not to bring the sword, but to bring love. So, Ezekiel 33, 9 yes, I do not like this passage. I struggle with it. And I like to warn people to be very careful with it. Because I have seen so much damage, so much bodies on the side of the road done by Christians who think they're showing love by condemning someone. This is never the case. Never. Show love. Correction will come. But through the right manner. Never by force. Alright, so that's quite a can of worms I've cracked open uh sorry for that I guess but um as I said to the guys at Fringe uh, last night Sunday night um I really didn't want to give this message I do not want to give this message but you asked for it and I respect that you wanted to know where I sit with this stuff you wanted to know my opinion when it comes to it so there you go um take it or leave it, but um, please be careful the way we treat each other. It's always better to come from a place of love than condemnation. Alright, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for that. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode And please, don't forget to sign up to thebarackcentre.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.